arguably one of the most complex, all-encompassing, misunderstood, and profound words in all of creation is love. And as we free love to be infinite and to be our natural state, to be all-encompassing, to be eternal, to be of the creator, to be all of these things that we've told you today that it is, we set love free. Welcome home to the Loving Consciously Podcast. My name is Amaris. And my name is Eric. And if you are like us, nobody, nobody taught you how to love. We are best friends and life partners here to vulnerably and authentically share our seven-year journey to unconditional love. Our mission is to help you learn how to love consciously in all of your relationships so we can journey together towards a more effective, intentional, and fulfilling way of giving and receiving love. Loving, Loving Consciously. Together, we have overcome neurodivergence, mental health, addiction, pregnancy loss, infidelity, and grief. After six years, the lack of knowledge on how to heal or love each other through these challenges led to our separation. After us both spiritually awakening and recommitting, we built our new conscious partnership founded on unconditional love and a commitment to personal growth. Thank you for joining us as we put it all out there to show you the duality of our love's pain and beauty. And remind you that you have both the capacity to love consciously and the power to always, always choose love. Namaste and welcome back to the Loving Consciously podcast. This is episode 15 titled Love is Infinite. We are coming to you live from Sedona and we don't really have many personal updates. So we're just going to get right into the meat of this episode. We have divided this episode into two parts. Part one is all about love and part two is more about the concept that love is infinite, and we are exploring that through the lens of ethical non-monogamy. And I want to encourage you to approach this with an open mind and understand that this is just meant to be educational. Whether or not this content aligns with your values or is something you choose for your life, there's a lot to be learned in this topic, and it's been an incredibly expansive journey for us. We've learned a lot. And we want to share that with you all. We will do this first part all around love. We will do the second part educationally around ethical non-monogamy. And then at the very end of this episode, we'll share our journey with that. Before we get started, I want to ask you a question. Did anyone teach you what love is or how to give and receive love? Because for me, the answer is no. I would say the answer for me is no as well. Only because what we're taught in society about love is not the true fundamental essence of what love really is. So true. So getting into love, everything is love. The creator is love. We all come from love. Love is the fabric of creation of this universe. And it's such an incredibly important, integral, I would argue the most important part of relating on this planet and of being in this human experience and of being a soul and energetic being and yet we talk so little about it we don't learn in school what love is what types how to work with it how to engage with it how to receive it most people don't even know how to receive love from others you know you're given a compliment or you're given kindness oh no 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 i can't take that rejection right no i don't know how to receive that it makes me uncomfortable and it just baffles me how this core, in my opinion, most important part of existing is so 
small in our awareness. And obviously through, you know, loving consciously and my brand and my mission, it's all love. It's conscious love. It's self-love. It's authentic inner child love. It is the solution to our problems. And it's my hope through this conversation that we can really drive home and show you just how important and diverse love really is. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, when we think of love as a society, we tend to think of that hallmark concept of what love is. It's this romantic, passionate thing that we search for in our relationships. When in reality, love truly has so much more depth to it. Absolutely. Something incredibly impactful in my spiritual journey has been coming upon this knowledge and awareness that unconditional love is the highest vibrational state there is. And, you know, we say like fear is the opposite of love. Fear is the lowest vibrational state, which happens to be the state that much, if not most of this planet is living in right now. On the other end of the spectrum, we have unconditional love, which is complete harmony and and this incredibly high vibration. If you can imagine fear as the dark void, imagine then unconditional love as the candle in that void that's shining the light. Unconditional love has the ability to always overpower negative emotions. It instantly depolarizes and dearmors us. Speaking from experience in this relationship, whenever I'm in a lower vibrational state of fear or anger or shame even, and my partner meets me with that unconditional love, it acts as an invitation to open my heart and remember who I am and come out of that experience. Yeah, and this is because love is the greatest and most important healing force in our universe. There's nothing that can go deeper. It's eternal. It's all-encompassing, and I would reflect that right back at you that a huge part of this relationship for me has been the unconditional love that you showed me from day one. You know, we met weeks after I was released from incarceration. I was early on in recovery. My life was in shambles. We come from very different backgrounds, very different worlds. Even knowing, you know, all of my past and all of my trauma and all of my history, I was given that unconditional love. And that space was incredibly healing. And I think it is one of the major factors of why I've been able to do lifetimes of healing work in, you know, a few years. And especially this last month or so, since my ayahuasca journey, I have been processing incredibly difficult emotions around this repressed childhood abuse that came up. And there have been some really, I think I'm trying to use like healthy and positive language. And I just think this is one of those moments where I have to be authentic, but there have just been some really dark, ugly releases of emotion and of pain and of anger. And having you there to hold that safe space, hold that space of unconditional love and know that I can express all of that really deep trauma and have that unconditional love is a major factor for why I've been able to do that and why I've been able to do that so deeply so quickly. Thank you for sharing that. Unconditional love is, like you said, one of the deepest and truest 
healing modalities that there is. You have shown that to me as well, you know, even coming out of my ayahuasca journey and through this entire relationship, you have met me in a place of unconditional love. From my awkwardness to my selfishness at times, to my dishonesty and my addiction, you have always met me with unconditional love. And that has created the space to allow for internal reflection. Because when we meet our partners with unconditional love, it does not give the ego the opportunity to project itself onto your partner. You cannot project negative emotions onto unconditional love. It's just not a vibrational match. And so that can't happen. It's like trying to have darkness within the light. It's just impossible. It's just reality of the universe. If you have a room beaming with white light, you're not going to be able to have the darkness in there. And so that's a really great analogy of that unconditional love. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful analogy. Something that's really helpful for those of us who are in a position where we are creating that unconditional love for our partner is the knowing that unconditional love starts with ourselves. All love is self-love. And when we meet ourselves with that unconditional love, it's something that I'm still processing. And, you know, we're all on the journey here together. But when we do that, it allows us to meet our partners in that same space. I love that you brought up self-love. I have an episode on my solo podcast coming up in a few weeks about this where I'm having an incredible guest on to talk about self-love and how that helps with your healing journey, how arguably it is the healing journey. You know, for me last year, self-love was really the theme and I am incredibly humbled and grateful and content with where I've landed in that journey and the self-love that I've cultivated today and would encourage everyone to really dig in to if you are looking for more love in your life, if you find yourself constantly looking for love in other places, start looking within and cultivating that self-love because we attract what we are. And so, you know, if we are not cultivating that self-love within ourselves we are kind of repelling that love outwardly. And I know we are talking a lot about romantic relationships and self-love. Getting even deeper here, there are infinite forms of love. There's romantic love, there's friendship love, familial love, parental love, this unconditional love, self-love. We could probably talk about this for hours on end. Something that I really liked on this romantic side to wrap that portion up is this triangular theory by Robert Sternberg. I found this researching for this episode, and it was a beautiful way of conceptualizing romantic love. And essentially, his theory is that true love is a combination of three things, intimacy, passion, and commitment. If I had to pick like three core pillars of our relationship, those would honestly probably be them. And so I think that's a really great way to put this understanding into what romantic love looks like when it's embodied. And I know for us, kind of looking at each one of these, commitment we've had radically since day one. And the pasión, you know, the passion is, I think, the, the fire, the core heart of our relationship. And something that I've sat with a lot around intimacy specifically is I've heard a lot of people and couples say like, oh, I would never 
you know, I, I don't talk to my partner about my menstruation or I would never go to the bathroom in front of my partner or I don't, I don't like my partner to see me naked or, you know, whatever those things may be. These are just kind of examples coming to mind, but it's really comes back to intimacy, right? Like having that self-love, having that healed relationship with yourself so that you can have this deeply intimate partnership. And I'm not saying those things are required for intimacy. I just, when I think about our relationship in this sense, right, I'm not talking about um, engaging with each other, but in this sense, there are no boundaries. We, we have no boundaries with, you know, our bodies, with our bodily functions, with our emotions, our minds, our hearts, like we are wide open books. And to me, that is like true embodied intimacy. And I think it's something that we've had since very early on. I think we had to work at it, but there's always been this like really deep comfortability. And obviously that goes back to being soulmates and twin flames and all of these things and this incredibly deep soul contract that we have. I just wanted to share a little bit about what those things look like in our relationship. Yeah, thank you for bringing that triangle in. It's something that resonates very deeply. You know, commitment has been, like you said, something that's been a core pillar of this relationship. And truly why I believe we have gotten to where we're at and had the growth that we've had is from day one, we have been committed regardless of what obstacles have come up into our awareness for us to work through. We have had the ability to overcome them because of that commitment, because we both came to the table and said, we are going to figure this out. And that is an integral part about conscious relating because that commitment to one another is what's going to carry you through the dark times and the challenges that arise. When that happens, after the commitment, the passion is what reunites us. That passion allows us to meet each other in a vulnerable state and use that love and that chemistry to heal. And then through that process, intimacy is born. We're able to hold each other in that vulnerable state, allow for that healing to happen. And something that you mentioned about how there are infinite forms of love, that really is the core essence of this world. It's all relationship. It's relationship with ourselves. It's relationship with others. It's relationship to this planet. And at the basis of each of these relationships, is love. That is loving consciously. Mm. That was beautiful. I love how you tied those three things together. That was not where I saw that going. And I'm sitting in how incredibly beautiful what you just shared was. So thank you. Something else I was looking at is, you know, the ancient Greeks had eight different types of love, like eight words that they created for love. And y'all may have heard a few of these, I hadn't heard a couple of them. And just to give you an even deeper insight into these forms of love and how many different words we have to describe this this piece of, you know, relationship with everything. And one thing I would add to that list, you know, relationship with yourself, relationship with others, relationship with the planet, relationship with the creator, mm -hmm. God source creator, whatever you call the divine, that is an incredibly loving relationship. So the Greeks, they had eros and eros is sexual passionate romantic type love 
They had philia, which is deep friendship love. They had ludus, which is playful love. And for some reason, I'm thinking of like little kids, the love that little kids have for, for their friends. And they had agape. Agape is a really beautiful concept. This actually came to me when I was incarcerated. And I could go on a big tangent of it, but simplified, it's like whole complete creator love. It's love for everyone and everything in humanity. It's the ultimate embodiment of love of the divine. There is also pragma, which is long-standing love. There's philatia, which is the love of self. There's storge, which is family love. And mania, which is obsessive love. As you can see, I think we could do an entire love history lesson here. There's so many words. There's so many people who have tried to tackle this four-letter word. Arguably one of the most complex, all-encompassing, misunderstood, and profound words in all of creation is love. And the last thing we want to sit with and explore with you in this first section is that love is not a finite resource. Love is like sunlight. You can have enough, this is actually a quote that I love, but love is like sunlight. You can have enough to give to yourself and everyone else and still have more. It is infinite and that is why this is the name of this title. You can give love every second of every day and you will never run out of it. It's a complete eternal resource for you to tap into because it's your true nature. Yeah, love is a generative force. It comes from within us, like your own battery of love. Battery of love. That is really cool and kind of funny. This is an incredible segue into the last piece here before we get into part two, talking all about ethical non-monogamy and our belief that love is infinite and specifically applying that to romantic love. Eric has this analogy. I truly think it is a gem. If you are extremely resistant to anything outside of monogamy or even just love and all of these things in general, I truly believe that with an open mind and heart, this analogy is the key to understanding, doesn't mean agreeing with or implementing, but understanding love outside of monogamy. This gem came to me as a download through our ethical non-monogamy journey in an effort for me to understand it myself because I was feeling things that I never thought that I could feel, which was romantic feelings for another person equal to that of my partner, equal to and separate. The analogy that I use here is how we view a relationship with children, pets, friends, whatever resonates for you, I encourage you to put it into the forefront of your mind at this time. I'm going to use children because that is an easily relatable relationship for most people. When you have your first child, there is a love that is present, unlike anything else you've experienced. It's unique to that child, and you think to yourself, how could I ever possibly love anything else as much as I love this child? And then you go to have a second child. And you're waiting for that second child to come, 
and you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to have to divide my love. I have this love that I have for my first child. I'm going to have a second child. I'm going to need to divide my love in between these two children, taking away some from your first child. Then when that second child comes, you realize that that's not what happens, but rather a new love is generated for that child. You have double the love, not love split in two. And you're able to love that child fully and presently, just as you loved your first child. And so this is what translates to ethical non-monogamy and how we can have multiple romantic partners and have equal, unconditional, and romantic love for each other that is separate and does not take away from your initial romantic connection. Yeah, I love that part of you just create more love. And, you know, there you can have 5, 10, 15, some people have more than that, children. And you love them all the same and differently and completely. And it's the most perfect analogy. And again, you can plug in your pets, you can plug in friends, you can plug in so many things. Love is infinite. Again, it is not a finite resource. It is completely infinite. And now, if you ethically or personally just aren't interested in that, that's a different story. We're trying to paint this picture to show you that loving more than one person romantically does not mean that you love the first one less. It doesn't mean any of those kind of common misconceptions or projections of the ego. It just means you create more love. So, segueing into this next part, looking at ethical non-monogamy and what is it? What does it look like? How does it work? And also going deeper and exploring how love interplays with this concept of ethical non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy is a very wide umbrella term for relationships where all partners involved give explicit consent for some or all of the partners to engage in romantic, intimate, and or sexual relationships with other people. That is as succinct as I think it can get. It is a massive umbrella term that encompasses many, many, many types. Some important things are that these are consensual relationships. This is not infidelity. This is completely consensual and out in the open. And there are many types. This looks different for a lot of people. And within these bigger umbrella terms, there are infinite amounts of types of boundaries and preferences and ways of engaging. <laughs> we have been in this community for four plus years now and we have seen it all. We have seen so many different dynamics and that's the beauty of ethical non-monogamy is you get to choose your flavor. You get to choose your boundaries. You get to choose what you're looking for. I've seen people in this lifestyle that never engage with anyone else. They're Preference is to be in a public setting with each other and have, you know, to be watched or to watch, right? They never even actually physically engage with other people. It's incredibly diverse. It can look like open relationships where, the, again, general term, this looks different for everyone. We both agree we have an open relationship. You can do what you do. I can do what I do. There is polyamory, which is definitely our wheelhouse and our comfort zone these days 
which means romantic relationships with more than one person. And there's solo poly, and then there's kitchen table poly, and then there's poly like us where you do it together as a unit. Solo poly being we each date romantically separately. Kitchen table poly is kind of a term for I have a partner, you have a partner, we're together, and we all engage together. And that doesn't mean physically necessarily. It can mean as friends. We all live together maybe even. And then there is swingers, which is traditionally, again, this looks different for everyone, couples who swap and engage in just sexual activity with other individuals. And there's so much more. We could sit here and talk about monogamish. We can talk about relationship anarchy. It goes really deep. And there are still so many words that I don't even fully understand. I would encourage you to do your research because there really is something out there for everyone. And within each of these things, it can be a combination of multiple. You can move from one to the other. We have been I would say in ways in all of these categories at some point in time, even if very briefly. And we've just really solidified in we are ethically non-monogamous and we are polyamorous. And though we are open to potentially exploring individually at this time, well, we're not really doing anything at this time because we're on the road, but at this time we identify as being polyamorous together. Just like the infinite variations of love, there are infinite variations of relating romantically with other people. And while we could go down so many different rabbit holes here about ethical non-monogamy and the different sectors and, you know, what resonated for us, the important part here is to really focus on the fact that when we come to accept that love is infinite, when we come to accept that when we allow more love into our lives, it doesn't take away from the love that we already have. It opens the door. It opens the door to different possibilities and for you to explore either as an individual or with your loved one to see what works and resonates for you. Like you said, we've gone through many seasons over the years throughout our journey trying to figure out what worked for us and it's kind of like a science experiment. You know, there's not a book on here's how to live an ethically non-monogamous life and be successful. We're all unique snowflakes. Our relationships are all unique. What we desire, what we're looking for, what we need for our individual and spiritual growth is all different. And so it's a trial and error kind of deal where you meet each other with unconditional love and you allow that space to grow. It's honestly one of the catalysts for conscious relationships because it forces you out of the restrictions that monogamy has and forces you to confront things that you wouldn't confront in a monogamous relationship. Absolutely. That's a great segue into this next section. And I want to pause for a second and acknowledge this is an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people. And if it's uncomfortable for you and you're here listening, I commend you. That is courageous because, again, knowledge is power. And this is an opportunity to look at some of those unhealed parts in ourselves because I guess I would ask first is, why are you monogamous? And where did you learn monogamy? And so often I hear people say, well, it's just the way that it is or religion. 
and I am not going to touch on that in this episode. We're just not even going to go there. If that's your your religious view, we respect that. We save space for that. But I really want to address some of these core reactions and we'll just call it what it is, egoic reactions, egoic thoughts. First one being love is ownership. Well, they're mine. I don't want to share. They committed to me. And it very much all of these statements and all of these thoughts that come up come back into this ownership state of mine and me. And if you're giving anyone else attention, then you don't love me. And it all just comes back to that. Love is not ownership. Love is kind and does not hold that place of expectation and being mine. And another really big piece of this coin is most of the reactions of well, I would feel jealous or I would never feel secure or I could never trust them or insert all of these thoughts and things that people have told us over the years. That is merely a reflection of inner work that could be done. It's a reflection of I haven't done all of the healing to fully love and accept myself, right? Jealousy is not love. Fear is not love. Control is not love. Ownership is not love. If you are looking at your partner and you are saying, you're mine, you can't ever love anyone else, your love should be exclusive to me, otherwise it's not valid or it's not ethical or it's not spiritual, is an incredibly unconscious way of looking at love and is something that I think we both realized really early on in our relationship, even before our spiritual journey, that I'm really grateful for because love is infinite and love is complete and love is honoring of the fact that we are spiritual beings and we are a soul that has loved many people before, will love many people after, and loving others is our nature. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. To one of your earlier points about jealousy and how that really is a window for us to look into ourselves and provide ourselves with that self-love. Ethical non-monogamy is the window to conscious relationships because it forces us to face those things that aren't present in monogamous relationships, those shadows that we tend to shy away from. In this relationship, I was very resistant to the concept of ethical non-monogamy. And for me, that showed up in the form of jealousy, in the form of not loving myself enough to trust that my partner could love romantically another and that that had no effect on our relationship. The basis of conscious relationships is that we come together in relationship, first loving ourselves, first being complete whole individuals on a path and choosing to walk that path together. There is no ownership in conscious relationship. And that fundamental basis is what can be applied to this concept of ethical non-monogamy. It's that bridge. The minute that you open yourself to this concept, you are opening yourself to conscious relationships. Because in order for ethically non-monogamous relationships to be successful, that 
conscious component has to be there because things will come up and having the tools to face them together is incredibly important. Absolutely. And at this point, I want to touch on one more thing that may really help bring this home. And I encourage you to sit with this after this episode because this is the thing that no one really wants to talk about. And I think it's an incredibly insightful conversation around the truth about monogamy and the truth about this thing that we've all been fed and we don't really even understand why the divorce rate and the infidelity rate. The divorce rate of first marriages is upwards of 50-ish percent. This is a really variable statistic based on where you are in the world and other factors. And, you know, some people are divorced but don't actually file for divorce. So I would argue it's higher. If you get married a second time, it's over 60%. Think about that for a second. Half, over half of all marriages end in divorce. And then taking that a step deeper and looking at infidelity rates, and I have to caveat this, that these are probably half of what the real numbers are because anonymous or not, we know people are not being honest. So we have to account for the fact that this is just the people that are being honest about it. Approximately of the people who are being honest, 20 to 44%. The numbers were all over the place based on men, based on women, married, not married, 20 to 44. I am going to sit here and confidently say that in my opinion, I think it's over 50% as well. Of all relationships, people admitted anonymously that they have been unfaithful. Again, sit with that for a second. Have you ever been in a relationship where there's been infidelity? I have. Almost all of them. I've been unfaithful. You've, we've had infidelity in our relationship. This is incredibly common. And so if you're sitting here and you're meeting a lot of resistance or you're one of those people who are like, no, 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 monogamy is the way and all of these things, I would really encourage you to sit with this truth that half or more, I argue more because these are baseline statistics. The real numbers are always greater of all relationships out there end in divorce and have infidelity. And that is mind blowing to me because you have people who are monogamous and who judge ethical non-monogamy or who reject it or who are like, that's not moral or that's not whatever. But infidelity is. We realized really early on in our relationship that that was kind of the choice. Do we want to have an infidelity and divorce and dishonest relationship or do we want to do the work and open this up and figure out how to make that work for us and that's not an easy journey. However, it's an incredibly rewarding journey and it creates a space for a lot of healing work to be done, for a lot of self-love, trust, intimacy, communication. These are core pillars of exploring anything outside of monogamy. And again, it's just so unbelievably unfair to expect your partner to never be attracted to anyone else. That is literally our biological wiring. We are going to be attracted to people. Now we can either do it in shame and secrecy and breed negative energy and dishonesty and resentment in our most sacred relationship, or we can do it together, or we can do it in the open, or we can at least be honest about it. 
right? And ethical non-monogamy doesn't just mean you're having sex with other people. You don't, like I said, you don't even have to be physically intimate with other people. Maybe you're just open and honest about your attractions to others. Maybe you're just open and honest about interactions you have with others, not having to hide that someone hit on you or gave you their number. We live in a world of sex and lust and all of these things. We are sexual beings and we are going to be attracted to other people. We are going to have these feelings and judging them, rejecting them, lying about them, shaming them, ignoring them, numbing them, shoving them down is not serving us. And that is absolutely what's leading to over half of all relationships ending in divorce and having infidelity. When you really take a step back and look at the concept of monogamy, you're asking your partner, one person, to meet all of your needs. And that's just not possible because your partner is their own individual unique brand of humanity and so are you. And not every single cog in the gear is gonna line up and that's okay. And so it's important that we learn that there are avenues for getting our needs met, whether it's you don't like hiking and I do like hiking. And so I go and and have a partner or a friendship where they enjoy that activity and I can get that need met elsewhere without burdening you and forcing you to like this thing for me that you just don't like. Now, I'm not saying that you don't like hiking, just this concept. And the other thing to question then about monogamy is what is it about monogamy that we are taught is important? Like, what is the positive? And the truth about monogamy is that it allows you to form deep, intimate connections with another person because you are committed and because you're focused on that relationship. What society has taught us is that that isn't possible outside of a monogamous relationship. And what I'm here to tell you is yes and. Yes, monogamy allows you to have that focused perspective. We lived monogamously for years and that allowed us to build a foundation in our relationship that we were then able to build off of. Once you have that foundation and that understanding of depth, you are then able to translate that to other relationships. And so what worked well for us was building a monogamous foundation and then branching out and learning how to create those relationships with others. Yeah, absolutely. Which takes us into this last piece here. We've made it this far. It's a big conversation. A lot of things that you may not have heard before, or maybe you are a part of the ethical non-monogamy community and it's making you think about some things again. It is incredibly vast and just like everything in this universe, you get to choose what works for you. You get to create this. You are the creator of your own reality. And so you get to create what that journey looks like for you and your partner or partners. Our journey, as Eric said, started with three years of complete monogamy. And throughout those three years living in Arizona, I was very honest that this was something that I was interested in. And we had had one instance of infidelity on your part already. And so I was even more adamant about it. Firstly, because I'd experienced it before and it resonated with my heart. 
And also, I was very honest before we even got married that I did not think that I could spend a life without feminine connection because I didn't identify as straight and that felt like something that I couldn't authentically not engage with. And so before we even got married, you knew that. And then for several years before moving to Oregon, we were talking about this and we were exploring what that would look like and, you know, potentially starting with looking for um, a girlfriend for us to both experiment with. And another really big reason why I was passionate about this was because when we got together, we had vastly different romantic and sexual backgrounds, whereas I had extensive backgrounds with both romantic and sexual interactions with men and women. I had multiple relationships over two years long. I had been engaged before. I had lived with several men before. I had dated a couple before. And on the other side, you came into our relationship having very little relationship experience, never having lived with someone else, and being a virgin. And so having experienced that infidelity early on and then having my past experiences I brought this to the table and said, I think this would be a really great way for you to experience life because I don't want to hold you back from experiencing things. And obviously you want to because you are pursuing this unethically. And so how can we come together and do this together in an ethical way that serves us both? Yeah. And it was interesting because there was a lot of shame on my part when it came to the infidelity and when it came to even beginning exploring ethical non-monogamy. It was rooted in that jealousy and in that fear of losing you and essentially not loving myself and being within my core enough to give you the space to experience and then also trusting myself to be able to be in these experiences without losing myself. Another really big part of it was religion, too. There was a lot of religious trauma and a lot of religious conditioning, and I think this is a really great time to mention this because a lot of our listeners may be coming from that religious background, may be coming from that same place of believing that anything outside of one man and one woman is immoral. Yeah, what helped me break through that barrier for myself was truly experiencing it. It was experiencing love in its infinite form and recognizing that fear had no place. And fear can be found at a lot of religious beliefs you know, growing up Catholic and growing up in a very traditional household, I feared a lot of my natural state, which is polyamorous, which is having that infinite loving connection and wanting to share that with people. When I stopped shaming myself and allowed that love to flow through, it just clicked. It made sense. And it allowed me to question that belief for myself And the minute that I started questioning that belief, it was like a string of pearls that you follow. And as you make your way down the pearls, questioning your different beliefs, you get to find out who you are. I love so much that you said questioning because 
my like motto these days our motto is question everything and i have to wonder because of what i've experienced in my reality this may not apply to all of our listeners but i think it applies to a lot of them how many people believe things because it's what their parents told them because it's what society told them because it's what the media told them because it's what religion told them because it's what teachers told them have you ever actually sat down and asked yourself i hadn't until a few years ago why do i believe this who told me this is this what i want does this feel authentic does this make my soul and my heart light on fire and sing and explode in ways i never have before if not it might be worth looking at so that's kind of what led us into this preface we were together for three years we had been talking about it for a while we'd ex- we'd experienced that episode of infidelity where you were talking to other women and that was kind of that journey and then we moved to oregon with the intent okay we're away from family we have privacy we have this new space that's like arguably the ethical non-monogamy capital of the country And so we're going to explore this. And we started by getting a Tinder. We had a couple's Tinder that we shared. We both had access to. And we were under the impression that we were looking for a girlfriend. We were babies. We didn't know any of these terms. We didn't know anything. And man, were we in for an awakening. We started to see couples on the app. And we were like, that's interesting. I guess they're looking for friends. I mean, that's actually how naive we were. This is... 2019 summer of 2019 so this is almost five years ago and we matched with a couple who invited us to this nightclub and this nightclub is very well known it is arguably the number one lifestyle which is an umbrella word to encompass all forms of ethical non-monogamy but it's a nightclub where that is welcomed and celebrated and the environment supports that and we just were immediately thrust into this lifestyle and it was a whirlwind of chaos and joy and wonder and in six months I think we explored just about every facet I mean they say crawl walk run and we just freaking sprinted and it even thinking about those six months I feel dizzy because so much happened and in that time we made a lot of mistakes, we learned a lot of lessons, we swore by our boundaries, and every weekend we went out, those changed, and we realized in this lifestyle, things are fluid. And, you know, there's a couple of boundaries that we've always kept for ourselves. We learned, and in that time, we met the couple that we dated, and it was really interesting because there was immediately this connection and this was prior to you coming out and they were our best friends they were our family we were together 24 7 you know three four five nights a week we were with their son with their family for holidays it was a very long and deep bond and we still love them dearly and that was kind of our taste of polyamory and what made us realize that that's kind of what we wanted and Then we met our girlfriend who we've had a very long on again, off again history with over the last few years. We still love her very much. And that was a really big time of this dynamic felt really resonant. And while we love dating another couple, we also really loved dating a single person since then, I think through trauma and a lot of things, our ethical non-monogamy journey got 
really strange. And, you know, there were some people that came in that were really unhealthy. We just had a lot of really weird situations. And it's because, you know, we were being inauthentic and we were in our dark times of our relationship and we were not dealing with our trauma. We were in suffering. And so it got really dark. And, you know, we had an individual enter our sphere, um, a woman that, you know, I from the get-go was really resistant to that you were really interested in. And that became a really toxic situation of just really unhealthy things happening, dishonest things happening, boundaries being broken, which ultimately through that and other things led to our separation. And so this takes us to the start of last year when we came back from our separation we have actually been, not by choice, monogamous since then. It's been a little over a year that we have not been with anyone else. And that's not by choice. It was at first, I think the first like six months, we really wanted to focus on healing our relationship and focusing on our love. However, this last six-ish months, I would say, we've really deeply been missing that part of our lives and been open to it and have started to explore a little bit at certain times We've just found that's really difficult for two reasons. Number one, we don't live in the same spot for more than a few days. And so how that even works with this lifestyle is beyond me. But number two, and most importantly, for us on our journey now, intimate relating and conscious relating and sexual relating is spiritual. It is an energetic bond. And our standards, our values, our self-love, and the relationship that we've cultivated is so important and is held so high that anyone in any capacity, romantic or physical, to come into that would need to be on that same frequency. And we've met very few people that are, and they're usually our friends, our community. And so while we're open at this time, it's just not something that's active in our lives. Thank you so much for sharing our journey. It really has been this roller coaster of extremely high highs of connection and intimacy both with each other and with whomever we were connecting with and some really challenging times that forced us to look within ourselves and the unhealed parts that were there and ethical non-monogamy just like any other tool in relating is a mirror for your own state of consciousness in that you can create so much beautiful growth and love and you can also lose yourself. You can also abuse it and use it as a form of escapism, which is what happened towards the end of our journey. At the beginning of the journey, however, we learned just how deep relationships can go. Like you mentioned, the amount of honesty, trust, communication, and vulnerability that's needed to have any type of relationship in this sphere is leaps and bounds above anything we ever got to in our monogamous relationship. Truly, the values that we took away from this experience were that we are open. We are open to connecting with people who are a vibrational match to where we're at. And the ability to create deep, meaningful relationships with other people without boundaries or fear 
of hurting your existing partner or hurting a relationship that already exists, if you are the third in a relationship, it allows you to explore facets that otherwise weren't accessible. And there's beauty in that. There's growth in that. Just if you think that a conscious partnership with an individual is a catalyst for growth, try doing that as a couple unit or try doing that with a third person or in a polycule, which is several people who come together. It can be as many as three to eight or more um, that come together and relate consciously. I'm trying to imagine eight. (laughs) The truth is many people can't handle one relationship with one person. Look at our divorce rate. Look at our infidelity rate. Look at the prevalence of disconnection and toxicity and chaos that exists in modern relationships today. And so it's that fear and that inability to do the inner work and be in a place where you are whole and complete and love yourself and can thus relate to multiple people at once because it is more work and it, it takes more accountability, more honesty, more communication. It's that fear that I think a lot of people have that makes them go, I would never do this. This is wrong. This is not, you know, within my morals and reject this idea from that place of fear or not being able to healthily participate in this dynamic rather than doing the work and getting to that place and understanding that, well, while you and I got to that place through having a messy journey, there are people who are in that place and who can do that and who prefer that and who have found the incredibly deep benefits that ethical non-monogamy brings. You know, as you said earlier, I don't think we gave it enough space. One person cannot meet all of your needs. And when you are dealing with, like in our relationship, two people who are outside of the quote-unquote straight, whatever that even means, it's, it's even more impossible. And the beauty of ethical non-monogamy is you open the door for all of these different relationships and partners and dynamics and loves and types of love and love languages and and interests to come in and some other really beautiful things that we've experienced through this journey is seeing your partner in a state of love and relationship and pleasure with someone else you know when you are relating to loving and or sexually engaging with your partner you are also in that state of love and pleasure right it's while a mutual act, you're viewing it from a self from a self lens. And for me, when I saw you loving others and engaging with others and being in that space together, it just made me love you that much more. It just added more love, more romance, more excitement. Just it was just more, 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 more. There was never less. And any time there was any negativity, be it jealousy or uncomfortability or dishonesty that was just a reflection of the inner work that each of us needed to do it was never a reflection of our relationship it was never a reflection of our connection we always had that incredibly deep strong bond even in those dark times and so now here we are on the other side of this 
you know, we've been together seven and a half years. We've gone through three years of monogamy, four years of ethical non-monogamy, and now another year of monogamy-ish by, you know, by circumstance. And I'm able to look back on all of these years and all of these relationships and experiences and versions and have absolutely no regrets. I have no regrets. We had some wild times. We had some weird times. We had some funny times. We have some stories that we can look back on. And at the end of the day, it all just created more love because love is infinite. It just created more love in myself, more love in you, more love in us. And it just opened my mind to the truth that we are eternal beings. We are infinite beings. And to contain our eternal, infinite, loving nature into one person for the rest of my life, no matter what, for us and for me feels so limiting and so unaligned. And the last thing I want to say here is the more spiritual I've become, the more awake and conscious I've become, the more I've gone on my healing journey, the more and more and more and more sure I become that I'm ethically non-monogamous and polyamorous, that I just could never limit myself, my love, and this eternal blasting creator love within me to one person. And it's not to say I need more or I'm seeking more. It's just to say if more was presented, I would never turn that away on the basis of, oh, I'm only supposed to be with this one person for the rest of my life. Yeah, thank you for sharing. There's two perspectives that were beautifully shared. The last one being this, as we grow on our spiritual journey and as we learn that we're all connected, right? We're all connected and we're all one. This concept of oneness within ourselves, within our relationships and one with the divine allows us to really see that that love is there for each of us. We can give romantic love as freely as we give anything else. It's a form of service. And this perspective that you were sharing about seeing me as your partner and for me vice versa, seeing you loving others, it's a perspective that we don't get to see in monogamous relationships. It's something that's completely alien to us. And when you see your partner in a state of love and giving, and it's not with you, but you are healed enough to have that not affect you, you can see your partner in the act of creating more love. And that is beautiful. Because what we're really sharing here is that love is infinite. We are not limited by the bindings that society has put on our romantic relationships. Ethical non-monogamy is a path. It may not resonate for everybody, and that's okay. It may resonate for you for some time until you take a step back like we did and focus on a monogamous relationship. And then you step back out and you branch back out. The thing about relationships, whether it's romantic, whether it's familial, friendships, whatever it may be, it's a fluid process. It is so limiting to put labels on things and to put boundaries based off of 
concepts that aren't even necessarily ours to begin with. And when we allow for that flexibility, we allow for more love to be created, we allow for growth. Absolutely. I want to drive home this concept of more, of creating more. And a really key piece I want to touch on before we close it out here is the more communication, more love, more trust, those words that we said. Because prior to our journey with ethical non-monogamy, you know, most people don't know how to communicate about what they want. And I'm not just saying like, oh, what I want for dinner. No, like, what do you want? What does your soul want? What, how do you want to be pleased? What is that dark fantasy in the back of your mind that you don't share with anyone? And this journey has, you know, given us the opportunity and at times forcefully put us in a position of communicating deeply and vulnerably about what we like, what we don't like. Uh, Hey, we had this experience last night with this other individual and I really enjoyed it. I'm really attracted to them. Or even just like being out at lunch and being like, wow, I'm sorry. Like I'm here with you and I'm really attracted to this person that just walked by or I just had this person, you know, hit on me and they gave me their number and I, and I, I would like to explore that or whatever that looks like. And removing that shame and that guilt and that judgment, that key piece of really being able to communicate and authentically show up with what do you want you know what makes your heart and your soul sing and what is your authentic truth as you sit with all of this information this has been a lot of information I just encourage you to ponder meditate journal pray talk to someone research this concept of love aside from ethical non-monogamy, aside from all these labels, all of these things, our journey, we are two people out of, you know, billions on this planet. Love is infinite. That is the point of this episode. We express that and we have experienced that through ethical non-monogamy. However, that does not necessarily mean that's the only way. It doesn't mean it's the right way and it doesn't mean it's the way for you. If that doesn't resonate, My hope and my prayer is that you still walk away from this episode through everything else we've talked about, understanding that love is infinite. It is not to be contained into this tiny space and that you can only have it in one way for one person, for one child, for one whatever. And as we free love to be infinite and to be our natural state, to be all-encompassing, to be eternal, to be of the creator, to be all of these things that we've told you today that it is, We set love free and we start living from a place of love and not fear. Mm. Set love free and start living from a place of love and not fear. Thank you for bringing that to everybody here. Thank you for holding this space with us. We are so grateful to have you as part of this journey. We love you so much and we encourage you if this did resonate to share it with somebody that you love so that we can get this message out there and encourage people to expand their understanding of love and bring love to the forefront of the conversation 